Hey, you know what? This government gonna be shut down for like a year. Let's take a quick break. No way, I wanna open that case from the Clemson football player. Okay, that's not a briefcase. That is a Crave case from White Castle. Well, I'd still like to have him open it, Steve. Oh my God. Okay, fine, open the case, please. Hamburgers. Yeah. Oh, Steve, I haven't eaten a hamburger in almost 15 minutes. I'm gonna make that deal. You ending the shutdown for a hamburger? Well, I guess that makes as much sense as anything else that's going on these days. And live from New York, it's Saturday Night Live! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 10 of SNL with host Rachel Brosnahan and musical guest Greta Van Fleet. I'm John Murray, and I'm joined this week by Andrew Dick of Rival Podcast, That Week in SNL. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at That Week in SNL. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash snlpodcast. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Brosnahan. Well, welcome back, Andy. Um, actually, not back. This is yeah. technically your first time on my show. Right. We did collaborate a little bit over the summer, uh, but that was a crossover spectacular that was more true to your show's format than mine. So I think that this is officially our maiden voyage you know it should be fun yeah. I'm, I'm 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 ready for somebody else to to drive the bus on a podcast I'm, I'm always kind of the host so yeah that was actually the most refreshing thing about collaborating over the summer it was nice to just show up and chat and not right. worrying too much about the production stuff you can get a little bit out of your head and not be so concerned um yeah so tonight you're just uh riding shotgun and we're gonna chat a little snl and uh, you can just relax and take a load off Heck yeah. Before we jump in though, why don't we talk a little bit about your show and what makes it unique and why people might want to tune in? Uh, well, my show is that week in SNL. I do it with, uh, my good friend, Tim Chicali, and it's about, uh, old episodes of SNL. We're just kind of bouncing around any era, any year. And, uh, just kind of looking at the episode and the, and the culture that surrounded it and, uh, it's a lot of fun. We have fun and I think you'd have fun listening to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. And if people want to find it, why don't you, uh, point them in the right direction? Oh, t- Twitter, you know, how to internet, you know, how to find things, people. <laughs> if you, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll know how to find that week in SNL. Yes. And so. more specifically that week in SNL is your handle on Twitter, right? If people want to track you down. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> we we get crazy on Twitter, for sure. Yeah, I don't know if we want to actually uh, get into any of the antics that we were batting around earlier today, but it was a fun morning, if if nothing else. If, if people do decide <laughs> to track down your account and read back a few hours, they might have some fun. We were... Yeah. We were uh, you basically uh, see a Whitney Brown uh, tell me to stay in my lane. It was like, <laughs> word up. He did give you an epic smackdown. So if if, if anyone would enjoy oh. checking in on that, I think it's, it's a fun little back and forth you guys had going. Oh, yeah. But we are not here to talk about Twitter antics we are here to talk about the most recent episode of snl we are officially back from our christmas hiatus it is 2019 and the show wants to reestablish itself and hit the ground running and tonight i think we want to try and break down whether they achieve that whether we're feeling confident about the show whether we still maybe have some reservations about um maybe the quality of the material that's coming out we got a, a lot of questions that we were hoping the show would answer <laughs> it's been a bizarre season so far the quality has just just been wildly varying mm-hmm. uh, in in just breakneck from week to week of, of where we stand so yeah let's uh, yeah. this will be interesting <laughs> so before we jump into the show i'm going to go over a little bit of listener feedback that's sort of in that same vein and uh we can talk a little bit about where the cast is at so listener nitsuj rendrag checked in and asked i want you guys to do a cast check-in sort of a midterm report card on where the cast is at how they're performing 
and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about what we might want to see from the players in the second half. If we had any advice on how we might tighten up the show, uh, this is our chance. So what do you think? How's the cast doing overall? Hmm. So I felt like at the end of last season, there, there should have been a little bit of a, a purge in terms of cast. Uh, I don't want to sound negative because I do love all these performers, but I, I just feel like there's a lot of people that have been there for a long time and they're not really doing too much new. They're still funny, but I, I just kind of wanted a transitional year to, to really get some of our newer players up and running, establish them and just more screen time for people. Mm-hmm. And we're not really getting that. Honestly, uh, we're still leaning on people like Keenan and Kate who both might be having their final year. I don't know. So that's fine, but we're seemingly going through the same thing that Luke Knoll went through uh, last year with uh, Ego Nomotum is just persona non grata. Where is she? She's mm-hmm. barely in the show. And i that's honestly what I come to the show for. I want to see the new people. I don't want them to have two years of barely being in the show before they're allowed to have a sketch. It's, it's like I've died. So... Okay, so if I was going to take that and try and sum it up, I'd say you're feeling the show's a little top heavy. We've got all these sort of like tenured cast members at the top of their contracts. They're getting all the screen time or, you know, the majority of it. And you're feeling like the show's feeling stale because these are the players that we've seen for a while. So even if the show knows how to use them, it doesn't mean they're using them in any fresh or creative ways. Is that that's somewhere in the vein of what yeah, you're getting at? Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't disagree. I love everyone on the show. I think there's a lot of talented people in the mix, and I think we will get our rebuilding year. I think it's going to happen next year because this is the year where a lot of people are going to be finishing out their contracts, and we'll see if the show decides they want to you know, double down on extending contracts or if they just want to continue to build out their bench from the bottom. I'm hopeful that we get you know, a lot of fresh blood next year yeah. to support the current featured players and new repertory players that are quickly distinguishing themselves. And I think are forming the core of what the next era of SNL is going to be. Um, yeah. I'm ready to see some fresh faces too. Yeah. What's most frustrating is that you can already see that core at play, mm-hmm. but it's just still kind of swallowed up uh, by other stuff. Right. You've got two very capable groups. You've got the veterans that are still eating up a lot of the show, but you also have that strong core that I would kind of peg as maybe like Alex and Heidi and Chris red yeah. and Mikey day. And so honestly, this should be like, uh, we should be loving this. Like mm-hmm. it should be the best of both worlds. And yet somehow I, I don't think it's quite coming off so far. It feels very strange. Okay. Well, uh, I think the landscape's going to look very different in a year. So I think you are going to get your wish. I just think it's going to happen over the summer and it didn't happen over Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> well, not even Christmas, just last summer. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think I'm in the same general ballpark as you. Um, I just love it when everybody's working together and you get these great ensemble pieces that just kind of come out of nowhere and they're quirky and fun. And you just feel like everybody's had a chance to get in the mix. I like it when we have those moments. I don't think we're seeing a lot of them right now. I think we're yeah. getting just a lot of impressions thrown at Kate that I think could be going elsewhere. Obviously Keenan is dominating, which is nice because he's a very stabilizing force. He's a great anchor on the show, but at the same time, he's not the only one that could be doing some of these roles. So, uh, yeah, we might be a little bit crowded. I, I, I think I can get on board with that notion. Um, I don't think that it's a terrible drag on the show, but I wouldn't be too dismayed if we started to see things turn over. Yeah. As we get into next year. Um, but let's drill in a little bit on the featured players. Cause they're the ones that are really kind of interesting to break down. Um, you know, the repertory players that have been there for a while, we know what we're going to get from them. There's no point in suggesting any advice on how they could do better at SNL. They've already shown that they're doing just fine and they're going to be there till the end of their contract. So, uh, I think really what we want to get to here is how are our three featured players doing Heidi Gardner, Egon Wodum and Chris red. Let's start with Heidi. What would your advice be for her in the back half of the season? And how do you feel like she's been performing for the first half of season 44? I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the show continues to use Heidi because she has a very specific type of performance that I don't know if it's always easy to slot her into just as, as a background player to, uh, to certain sketches 
and maybe that's doing a disservice to her. I mean, she just has a, a unique set of skills that I don't know you can just sprinkle around mm-hmm. the whole show. But I love her. I mean, her weekend update bits are great. And uh, the way that she just so completely inhabits a character is fascinating and and amazing uh, at times. So, <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm looking at it as like, maybe she's too good for SNL sometimes. <laughs> It's like they don't do this type of stuff a lot of times. Like they they usually go for broad, and and she's very it's it's almost uh, very insular at times with her characters. So, would you encourage her to round herself out as more of a utility player that maybe the show would throw in the background a little bit more, or would you just encourage her to lean in to developing really sharp takes on characters and just having these Heidi centric vehicles where it really is just you know, her doing her thing. Do you think that she needs to grow or do you think that the show is going to just continue to utilize her in an effective way? And that's just good enough. Like she should just keep doing what she's doing. Yeah. I say, keep on keeping on, <laughs> uh, honestly. Yeah. I like her just carving out her own little niche, mm-hmm. uh, within the show and, and that's fine by me. Sure. During the Seth Meyers episode, there was one sketch where Heidi was playing, off Seth Myers as his wife in a restaurant sketch. They were just kind of an obnoxious couple that were back from vacation. Oh, the Cuba sketch. Yeah. So oh, that was painful. <laughs> I know you weren't a fan. Um, oh. I didn't mind it, but what was really interesting about it was watching how she committed to her character, how she continued to sort of act and emote and just embody, you know, what was going on in that sketch. Even when she didn't have a line, I just felt like she just brought a lot to the role more than I think it really needed, you know? So that was something that I don't think we saw a lot of in her first year. In her first year, there was some stuff that she brought from the groundlings and a few fresh pieces that they were able to, you know, develop for a weekend update. She had a good first year and she played, you know, sufficient number of sort of like background roles and support roles. Like she, she was a perfectly capable featured player and also had these really, really fun characters that kind of put her on the map. Whereas this year I've noticed her just more in typical player roles. So I would just say, if anything, that bodes well, that hopefully the, you know, the writers and the show in general just sees her as being capable of handling pretty much everything they throw at her. And if that's the case, then they'll just continue to get more comfortable and more opportunities will come up for her to branch out, try new things and just round out her skills as a supporting player. And then I Mm -hmm. think she'll be unstoppable. Um, I think this is the trajectory that we saw Cecily go through her first few years. She had a few great moments, but it took a while before she was just kind of like, Cecily can do whatever we need her to do. So let's just always be ready to lean on Cecily whenever we need to fill out some corner of the sketch. She became, I think a very convenient option that the show could rely on. And I think that's why she's had a fair amount of screen time throughout her tenure, even though she's never been the star, she's never got the Emmy, (laughs) you know, Kate's always kind of been there taking the glory, but Cecily's always been kind of right beside her, just doing the job. And I feel like Heidi's probably going to be in a similar role, which I think is great because it means she'll write out her contract. She'll be there the seven years and she'll probably be able to have a lot of fun and have a lot to do while she's there. Yeah. No, no, she's definitely going to be part of the core uh, moving on. Yep. So, yeah, she's fine. Yeah, I see her as being positioned to be the most, like, well-rounded female player of the next crop. I think Melissa does some very specific stuff. Ego, well, you know, the jury's still out on that, but, you know, maybe she'll have more specific things that she can do. But I think Heidi is going to be the glue in a lot of situations, and, you know, they need that. And uh, I think she's there at the right time to sort of step into that role. So nothing but good things to say about Heidi, I guess. How about uh, Ego? Let's bottom line this. We got any thoughts on maybe what she needs to be doing to distinguish herself for the back half? I I don't know what to tell her what she should be doing. She's a funny lady. I've heard her on Comedy Bang Bang and Spontanea Nation. I know her to be hilarious. And it's really dismaying because she is one of the few people that got hired on SNL as a featured player. And I was like, holy crap, I know who that is. She's hilarious. And 10 episodes in, she's had one sketch. Yeah. And it's like, that's a bummer. Mm -hmm. Why? Why do you do this? (laughs) Uh, Well, I think this is, unfortunately, the common trajectory for a black female player at SNL. The show historically really hasn't 
been a furtive place for the kind of material that maybe she could excel in. It's just never been a place that needs a lot from a black player. So, or, and even more so a female black player. So she can be as capable and funny as anyone, but that doesn't mean that the writers are necessarily going to look to her and say, oh, well, you know, we've just got all this material that we just need her to perform for us. We just, I don't think that you just have that momentum in the writer's room that is going to be creating roles that really fit. So, I mean, that's, that's just the struggle that, you know, Sashir had before her and so many other players before them. Leslie kind of was able to break out of that mold a little bit because she can generate for herself and bring a lot of her stand up to the table. And, you know, she never just had to be a utility sketch player to distinguish herself on the show. So I think if Ego really wants to stand out, my advice would be, you got to start writing your own bits and, and just digging and fighting and just pushing them through and doing whatever you got to do to get them to the table read. Cause I don't know how much the show's going to do it for you. You got a cast that's top heavy with people that are still there. Right. You know, SNL loves to play the hits. So it's just, yeah, it's not the way I would produce the show. Fair enough. But (laughs) if there is a possible silver lining here, it is that the senior players will be moving on sooner or later. And she is fresh right now. She's got a long time on her contract. She could very well be riding out a mediocre season to have an opportunity to really step up and find a space as things clear out over the next couple seasons. So I hope that things line up and as the players begin to exit and she has more opportunity for screen time, I hope that they continue to round out the writer's room and bring in more voices that can maybe help create some more diverse material that would suit what she can bring. Um, if they do that, great. Right on. Okay. How about Chris Red? Oh man, I love Chris and he had such a strong first year and it feels like he's been a bit absent uh, for most of the season so far. He had the musical pre-tapes with Pete and those were fun, but mm-hmm. that's, that's about all he's had going. And uh, I don't, I don't know if it's just because we're kind of giving a lot to Keenan right now and that could be going to Chris or, or what. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel that like he's, he's definitely another one that is part of the core that we move on with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to see him get kind of shut out a little bit this season is again, disheartening. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have a whole lot to build on that. I think he's doing great. There will be more room if Keenan sitcom gets picked up. So we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, otherwise I think he's, he's doing fine. He's not getting the absolute most screen time, but nobody is in the cast. Like aside from a few senior players where you can really point to them and say, yeah, the show just always goes back to them. Um, everyone else is just kind of filling in the gaps right now. So I don't think that he's filling in the gaps any worse than some of the other kind of like mid tier rep players. I just, I feel like once there's a little bit more room, you know, we'll see a little bit more of them. So he's still early in his contract. Uh, I'd like to revisit this next year. And I have a feeling that, well, depending on where Keenan's at, I feel like maybe, you know, he's going to be thriving a little bit more, but I think that just as a featured player, his trajectory is just fine. He did have a good year last year that established himself as a capable player, um, brought lots of great impressions. They've made him Kanye, which means, you know, at any moment, Kanye may do something controversial in the news. And then all of a sudden Chris red is you know, the golden boy for the week. If, if that's the material mm. that they're going to develop. So he's fine. He he's, he's got a, a purpose and a place at the show. And I just feel like that'll just continue to ramp up over the next few seasons too. So I, I don't have a whole lot to offer any of them other than to say, just wait it out one more year. And I have a feeling things will look and feel a lot different as far as screen time and who's really moving up the ranks at the show. Keep filling those gaps, Chris. (laughs) All right. So, uh, let's jump into our episode recap for our cold open on MSNBC's deal or no deal government shutdown edition. Trump entertains offers from the democratic leadership. What did you think of this week's cold open? No deal. Okay. Uh, would you like to expand on that thought? <laughs> I, and this was something that we were talking, I think you were in the conversation uh, on Twitter of, I, I was really hoping for something more than this. And I was kind of talking about uh, the sort of what I call the mini epics that the show used to do, where it'd be a, a longer form sketch with multiple sets and, <laughs> uh, you know, pretty much utilizing the whole cast. And it's, it almost has a whole story arc 
And it's it's something that Jim Downey really liked to do when he was the head writer at the show. He'd kind mm. of bring all the writers in and the performers and everybody would kind of hash it out. Uh, it'd almost be like a, a collaborative thing. And I thought, we've been off for a month. There's been so much nonsense that's happened. Like, why not do something big and dynamic to, to come back for 2019? And instead, game show. <laughs> which is, I think, the first time that SNL has done a game show parody. So, you know, props to them for that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't want to be too cynical. Uh, but, yeah, it was disappointing when I was like, oh, man, what are they going to do? Oh, game show. Oh, well, at least it's an NBC game show. <laughs> All right. All right. So you were a little cool <laughs> on the cold open. There's some funny jokes. There's some funny jokes in there. Yeah. I was not super pleased with it. I want to give them points for creating a new setting. I want to give them points for having a situation where they bring out Trump and he has to play against a lot of other people rather than just, you know, talking into camera and delivering the, the one-liners of the week. So this format I felt was a little bit more fun than some that we've had, but I don't feel it quite got there. I feel like they had a lot going on with the different impressions, but there wasn't really anything memorable that anyone had to say. I don't think that if they had some really, you know, poignant message that they wanted to get out about the, the shutdown or any of the other, you know, crazy things going on in us politics, I don't feel like they said any of them, um, with any kind of like sharp critique. So it was lacking bite and it just really didn't have a whole lot of funny. If you're not going to be biting, then at least have some, you know, really, really funny moments. And I don't feel like this had a lot of either. So it was just really kind of middle of the road and, uh, there just wasn't a whole lot there with the writing. So that's where it fell down for me. Yeah. They couldn't even make a good hamburger joke. <laughs> wow. Guys, you really whiffed that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think we had a lot of these moments where, they know that it is in the cultural zeitgeist. This is what people are talking about. So we have to comment on it. No, you don't. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing terribly inspired here. So yeah. uh, why don't we uh, keep moving on and see if we can find something a little bit more redeeming about this show. Let's talk about the monologue. Rachel Brosnahan is looking forward to having fun in 2019. What'd you think? Pretty lifeless. <laughs> okay. So we're over two. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I don't usually like the whole song and dance monologue. To begin with, right? Uh, it's something that they lean on way too much. And I'm of the opinion of, you don't have a good idea for the monologue. Keep it short, keep it simple, sure. and get into the sketches. And so when I see the band, as like Rachel's doing a little bit of warm-up or whatever, and I see them kind of pick up their instruments, it's like, <laughs> no, no, put that down. Put that, put that bass down. And the whole... What was it? Let's have fun. You know, it was like 2019. Let's have fun. Uh, but of course, then we, we constantly remember all the, the bad things that are happening and it, it kind of brings everything down. Right. But it's just it's just four people up on stage just kind of shuffling about singing the song. And it's not terribly much. Mm hmm. Uh, I agree. This wasn't working for me. I thought Rachel Brosnahan came out poised, collected confident i feel like she did her best to present the right confident air that you need to have to sort of own the stage i always look for that because i feel like if you get any sense that the host can't win over the audience or just can't project themselves or, or demonstrate some competence <laughs> you know just them one-on-one -on -one with the audience i feel like that to me is a big indication that maybe they're not gonna thrive so i didn't get any of that from her i thought she was fine but there just really wasn't anything here for her to bite into. I felt like Cecily tried to sell it and uh, keep the energy going, but yeah, it, it just really didn't, didn't have much to it. So yeah, this has me a little bit worried about the show at this point. It, it didn't instill confidence in me, but perhaps our first live sketch will. So action nine news at five is live on the scene after an earthquake rock Sacramento's legal change of name office. What'd you think of our first live sketch of the night? This all right. It's another Mikey Day Streeter Seidel sketch, and they very much have their own wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And there's been many news feeds that cut to some disaster, something Mikey's interviewing people, and they have wacky traits. <laughs> this time it's wacky names. And 
it's fun and juvenile and silly, and there's some good escalation with the dirty jokes <laughs> that that are everybody's name. But it's it's a well we've gone back to so many times. Like mm-hmm. the, the show doesn't really have too many like repeated characters and sketches that they do, but they do like templates right a lot. And and this is very much a Mikey and Streeter template that we have a new concept slotted in. So even if it's a new sketch, the beats and the escalation still feel familiar. Right. So you think that that was actually a detriment to the sketch? You weren't able to get on board because it felt familiar? Well, holding two dicks was great. That, <laughs> that got me. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> Just the, the runner of holding two dicks. <laughs> Uh, that, that was the one that got me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a fun moment. I enjoyed this. I'm, I'm okay with this. You're right that it, it is very familiar. It's a, a spiritual twin to like the, the doll store fire, I think from last season. Yeah. And like Matt Shat. Yeah. Danny bangs animals. All of, all yep, of those. There you go. Uh, yeah. Man on the street comedy of air kind of things, but you know what? I was fine. It was fresh enough. If you're going to do one of those template sketches, the way you put it, don't repeat it beat for beat with the same kind of subject matter, at least find a fresh way to run at it. They did this. We get lots of sketches that have a similar structure to them. And as long as they find a creative way to run at it and you know, there's enough funny in it to justify the sketch, then I'm okay with it. And this one, I felt like it was fine. It wasn't exceptional, but it was accessible goofy non-political material you know to kick off the the live material for the night i'm okay with that this was at least fun and it was easy for me to get on board with it because it it didn't you know challenge views or dig deep on all the social societal political craziness because it was so far afield from that i'll take it (laughs) you know if nothing else that was I, i think what was refreshing about it so i was okay with it it was all right it was a decent way to start the night All right. Decent way to start the night. Let's see if we can keep the momentum going. After that, we get a pre-tape. Leave me alone. Travel earns for her. Kill small talk. Dead. What'd you think of our first pre-tape? Hmm. Well, I, I like specificity in comedy Mm -hmm. for sure. And I think that this one was not so much speaking to me Okay. because, uh, I'm not a woman who hikes and, you know, people will hit on her <laughs> during the hikes, I guess. <laughs> so it's not, it, I don't think it's so much for me. Uh, I wish there was some more escalation to the joke. I liked when we finally get Ego in it and she's got the lower back right, right. spike belt. Because <laughs> there's never a reason to touch a lady's lower back when you're walking by her. Right. Yeah. So, and that was like, that was the capper on the sketch. So I, I was only, I was mostly hoping for more uh, iterations of this joke, a, a little bit of an escalation and, and leave me alone. Just, boy, that just sounds like a half step Medea joke that <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw that, I was like, Ooh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's all right. Yeah. This didn't get to any great heights, but I agree. I think it was fine. I think it was a fun goof on this idea. I think that the travel earn gag, you know, they turned it into a phone charger and then they have the little um, CG graphic showing how it, it scatters the ashes in a way that will keep men at bay for 50 feet or whatever. Like it had, right. you know, some, some fun little goofs baked in that I, I felt got it over the finish line. I feel like this is a win, but I don't think that this is one for the books by any stretch. It was just a fun little idea that they built a nice, well-rounded little sketch and I'll probably never think of it again. <laughs> so, uh, fine, not memorable, but it's a win. I'm, I'm good with this. Yeah. Seconded. Okay. We got another live sketch on millennial millions. Two millennial contestants square off against a variety of baby boomers. What'd you think? Oh, I like this one quite a bit. Actually, this, yeah. this might be my favorite sketch of the night. Cause, uh, man, it's taken swipes at everyone <laughs> and it's, it's quite a bit of fun. Yeah. I think 80 runs away with this one though, where she comes out to sing a song explaining the boomers. Right. And it's much like her song in the middle of that dad Christmas pre-tape that, yeah. that also kind of just came out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden 80 has a song to sing right. and it's hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, and Keenan's great. And, uh, yeah, I like how it's just, it's swinging at everyone. And, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> this is pretty fun. That was my big note on it is that this works because it's not them just dumping on millennials or them just dumping on boomers. It really is whatever side you're on, you're going to feel like they're going at the other side. And mm. I do enjoy sketches where there's a little bit for everyone. I do like that. They had these cliche boomer archetypes that are so true. I'm sure we all have an uncle or an aunt that maybe veers into the territory that they were <laughs> goofing on there. Oh, I know the collector boomer. Yes. Yes. And I, I love that, that Keenan's barbs at the millennials landed so well. And that's just a credit to Keenan, you know, just the way that he <laughs> slaps the, the podium with satisfaction or, you know, just kind of like keels over a little bit. I love things that challenge your worldview. <laughs> yes. He's so pleased with himself. Right. Uh, so yeah, his, his smarminess was really effective. Uh, so yeah, this was fun. Yeah. I thought this was really good. And you already talked about 80 so i won't dig deep on that just she seems to have an ability to take some sketches that i'm really lukewarm on and and put them over the top because she just has a funny presence about her and when she sings she can infuse just sort of like a comedic way of belting a song like having a a measure of passion for the material that you wouldn't expect from such you know trivial dumb uh, right. so there, there's just something about how she runs at the musical stuff that I always am charmed by. And, uh, this was no exception. I, I really loved it when she came out and that, that was the first belly laugh of the night for me was her little ditty there. That kind of was all the exposition you needed to understand this world. They, they dropped it all on 80 and she performed <laughs> it masterfully. So yeah, this was a big win. This was the first point in the night where I thought, you know what, if they keep this up, if they can give me a few more moments like this, I'm good. Yeah. Um, it's yet to be seen whether they did. Well, we'll get to that in time. But as of right now, I'm having fun with the show. Fair enough. Me too. All right. Let's keep moving. We get a pre-tape from the creator of Gilmore Girls and some producers from Def Comedy Jam comes the raunchiest Miss Rita. What do you make of this one? I don't know what to make of this one. So actually, you know what? Let me uh, let me just wind this back a little bit. Have you ever watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, but okay. I know the concept. So if you were to break down the sketch, what do you think it was trying to do? What, where's the joke here? Oh, man. Why are you laying this on me? I just said I didn't get it. Well, I just I mean, wanted, you, you, well, you said that you sort of thought that you understood what they were getting at, even though you haven't watched the show. So is there a joke that's accessible to anyone that hasn't seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Because I have seen it. So I can't really divorce myself of that and say, is this funny just to the casual viewer that doesn't have any context? So that's, that's my question to you. Well, see, I don't know if there's any specific parody going on with Leslie's character. And I, I, you know, I get it. It's, it's the fifties basically. And we've got, you know, Miss Maisel, a dainty little housewife doing comedy in these comedy clubs. And then she gets Leslie up on stage. And then basically it's all of a sudden deaf comedy jam. And Mm -hmm. we're bleeping out almost every other word. And, yeah, so it's it's Miss Maisel meets Deaf Comedy Jam, um, and beyond just it being crass and everything being bleeped, I didn't really see what what angle we were taking with the jokes here beyond just like oh it's uh the Leslie she's being loud and telling dirty jokes and it's like I don't know if there's supposed to be something else here. Okay, so this didn't really hit for you. There wasn't anything that you could really like latch on to no yeah this kind of just went over my head i was like i don't know what that was honestly i okay. think i understood what they were getting at i thought this was fun if not a little muddy kind of like you said you, it, it's hard to know what the starting point was like really what's the pitch for this i couldn't tell you my head canon says that the pitch is um you take someone who's demonstrating sort of the 1950s early 60s comedic sensibility in the village which is Bob Newhart kind of comedy. You've got that being sort of the established high watermark of comedy. And then someone just walks up on stage and completely innovates <laughs> and makes all of that obsolete by doing this more modern bombastic blue comedy. So I, I think it was just kind of the fun of showing what a comedian like Leslie would look like <laughs> in a more mm. delicate time. And I had fun with that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's much of a story here. I don't think there's much more of a takeaway than that. It just really is the the duck out of water and the, and the fun of putting her in that world where she'd be totally out of place, but everyone's embracing it, right? Like the, the second they get a taste of this harder edge, more intense comedy, there's no going back to the more mundane stuff that they've been seeing in these clubs. So I felt like 
you know, there was something there that was amusing me, but I don't think that this was so, you know, sharp or clever that I'm ever going to revisit it. I think that production wise, visually, it looked a lot like the show. I'm not actually sure that they didn't use the set from Miss Maisel because it looked pretty authentic. Uh, mm-hmm. Either that or they found a, a New York location that they could do a quick setup in that was really authentic. But uh, I felt like the production and the style and the tone was all there. And I did enjoy the the mashup of throwing Leslie into that world. So amusing, not memorable. Let's move on. All right. Okay. Let's take a look at our musical performances. Greta Van Fleet performs Black Smoke Rising and You're the One. What's your hot take on Greta Van Fleet? So I'd never heard of this band before, mm-hmm. these performances, but I think as soon as you hear about them or read about them, the next thing you're going to read is, oh yeah, and they're a Led Zeppelin ripoff. <laughs> right. And that's all I heard about this band leading up to this performance. And I was I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt because I, I don't, you know, I love, Zeppelin's fine by me. I love Led Zeppelin. And I, I never quite understood anybody that, like for some reason, Led Zeppelin's the one band you can't sound like. Like usually, if somebody says, "Hey, this band sounds like another band you like," I'd usually go, "Thank you. I'll mm-hmm. check them out." Right. They're doing something right. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, yeah, taking you know, taking inspiration from Zeppelin. Absolutely. Let's check it out. And they stink. <laughs> Well, that is a hot take. <laughs> um, this was not doing it for me. Okay. Uh, is there anything in particular that you can point at and say, this wasn't working because fill in the blank, you, you got anything there or did it just grate on you and you don't even know why? Uh, well, it's a very lifeless performance, mm-hmm. uh, just visually. And I feel like the lead singer, like he doesn't move and I, I feel like he doesn't move because he's like just gathering everything in his body to hit that Robert plant, <laughs> Getty Lee, crazy falsetto that he does, but it doesn't make for a very dynamic rock performance. Right. And the songs just kind of sound like pastiche of Zeppelin songs. It's like, I'm fine with inspiration, but it's like, this is kind of dead sounds like a Zeppelin song. So, <laughs> eh. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that is all correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I like you hadn't heard about them prior to them getting booked on SNL. So when I did hear that they were coming on and the immediate comment is, oh, they're just like Led Zeppelin. That's what you should expect. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to go out and hear them at all. I want to hear them fresh for the first time on SNL, see a live performance from them and just kind of take it all in and see if they're a band that channels Zeppelin in a satisfying way, or if it just comes off really like kitschy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned and a few more, it just really wasn't working for me. Hit me with a few more. Well, <laughs> um, the big thing that I found really challenging was they were playing the part, you know, they're done up shirts flapping open and, you know, sequence and long hair and gems around the neck. Like it very much is an early seventies rock metal aesthetic that you're getting from them, which notice they didn't have the balls to do the tight (laughs) pants though. (laughs) Sure. Uh, They copped out on that. And I was like, sir, well, this has to be a little more family friendly. They had to tone it down a bit. (laughs) Um, so that was a little too on the nose and it just reeked of, We've got a bunch of producers that want you to be so obvious as to what you're selling that mm. they've kind of got them all gussied up that way. And maybe it's sincere. Maybe that's just what these guys like to to dress like. Like maybe they are such acolytes of Zeppelin that they play the part. Like this is just what they've been absorbed in for so long that, yeah. that they've just embraced everything about it, visual, that's fashion, fine. whatever. It could be that, but I just, I got a whiff of overproduction from it. It felt like very clean Zeppelin that wasn't really Zeppelin music. It sounded like Zeppelin. The The guitars were all processed the same way that you'd hear in a Zeppelin song. They had the organ. Obviously the, the lead singer's vocals are, are all there to harken back to Zeppelin, but the actual structures of the songs weren't adventurous. Mm-mm. Like the, the big thing that 
I think made Zeppelin greater, at least to me, is that they would have all these different movements in their song. Like they would just drop into almost a completely different song in the middle of a song. And it'd be like this whole other soundscape, this, this whole other production. And then they would, you know, revisit an earlier theme and they would tie it all together. And then it would get so bombastic at the end, like their, their songs would build. And there was just something very satisfying about the way that Zeppelin crafts a song that just felt adventurous and raw. And these guys just felt very polished and pristine and technically great. But at the core, these were pop rock songs. You know, Mm -hmm. they were just very accessible, easy, middle of the road kind of songs dressed up to sound like a Zeppelin song. And that to me is kind of like the worst kind of heresy. So this was not doing it for me at all. <laughs> Credit Van Fleet, the worst kind of heresy. Throw that on the box. <laughs> there, that's that. That's our meme. That's our hot take for the week. Um. Oh, so yeah, I, if you're gonna bring a band on that people are declaring is uh, the second coming of Robert Plant or Zeppelin, they've got to have more cred, and there has to be something unique about them because you you don't want to immediately write them off as essentially a cover band playing worse music than Zeppelin ever wrote. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I felt. So yeah. maybe it's just cause these guys are young and this is just kind of all they've known. Like this is just kind of the music that they like making. And they've just been doing Zeppelin covers for so long that someone said, well, they're actually pretty you know, good with their instruments. Maybe we should turn them into a Zeppelin wannabe band. Maybe that's kind of how this all came about. I don't know. It just, it definitely was not working for me. Yeah. Me too. Hey gang. I want to jump out of the cast for just a moment to mention that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you producing, distributing, and marketing. The podcast is not cheap and currently we're running at more than a little bit of a loss. When I started the podcast in 2016, I decided to give myself three years to try and grow it into something sustainable. Well, we're approaching the end of our third season now. And even though we have a sizable audience, I haven't done a very good job of persuading you guys to support us on Patreon. So I'd like to take this opportunity to strongly encourage our listeners to head over to patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash SNL podcast and show us some love. I'm looking for at least 100 of our most awesome listeners to come on board by the end of season 44. That's what we need to keep the lights on. And so I'm really hopeful that you guys are enjoying the cast enough to want to help us out. And don't forget our patrons get an exclusive members only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. So that's my spiel. If you're liking the show, if you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and help us out. And before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a quick shout out to Miles Donahue from Hoboken, New Jersey, who's one of our fabulous repertory player level patrons. Miles, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. Let's take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discussed the government shutdown. What did you think about what Jost and Che were bringing this week? Yeah, it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, weekend Update's been a consistently strong part of the show for the last handful of years, and I feel this is a pretty good outing. Nothing uh, too amazing out of uh, Colin and Che. Uh, I still prefer Che and his more conversational tone in his joke telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, nothing, nothing crazy good, but uh, yeah, solid, solid work. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd say this is good, not great. I think it was more Che's week than Jost. Jost was a little fumbly out of the gate. It seemed like first couple of jokes, the audience wasn't quite, you know, with him. Um, so I, I felt like we were a little slow out of the gate to kind of get the energy up, but I feel like Che had a good run there when he's talking about, you know, we all have, uh, you know, that one aunt that has roaches or whatever. So she's the one that brings the the ice, you know, like right. you gotta, you gotta kind of <laughs> know your limits a little bit. Um, yeah. and then he ties that into people that look to him for honest commentary in the news or whatever. Don't do that. I'm the guy that brings the ice. Um, <laughs> so he had some moments, uh, and I think that was all good stuff. I just wouldn't call this one, uh, particularly notable it was it was solid material but yeah not not fantastic or great or super memorable so uh right down the middle with uh jostin che this week yeah pretty much all right for our first feature kate mckinnon as senator diane warren discussing her 2020 presidential bid what'd you think hmm uh solite it's not okay. i it, there's parts of this that i enjoy i i, I like the sort of details of her her hard time uh, upbringing was fun and the whole bit about 
the prostate exam and, <laughs> you know, bend over and let Mama Warren get to work. Uh, all worked for me. But still, it was just, it kind of, it never really launched for me. Okay. Uh, and, and it seemed like there wasn't enough specificity there. Like, you could have told me it was Nancy Pelosi, and I would have been like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, so I don't know if the character itself uh, has too many good hooks yet. Right. Uh, but some lines were, were really got me. Yeah. The the DNA test came back 100% bad idea. <laughs> some good laughs there. So, yeah, I, I did like the way that Kate kind of undercut those jokes. Like she, she's very even keel in delivering it. Like not that she's proud of it, but she's not really ashamed of talking about her failings as much as her triumphs. Like there's, there's something about the writing to this that was a little charming in just sort of how sincere I guess Diane Warren comes off, um, which I, I thought was amusing, but this was not remarkable. It, it came to a nice conclusion when she's talking about, you know what? Like no one wants a prostate exam, but you're going to die if you don't get one kind of thing. <laughs> right. it, it was a, it was a fun way to drive home the thesis that she'd slowly been building to. So I felt like it went somewhere clever, but like you, there, there just wasn't a whole lot of, hooks yeah there just wasn't a whole lot that really makes the character shine um Mm -hmm. not like say ruth bader ginsburg or someone that is way over the top that they've just got a whole lot of goofiness that they can play up um you're not getting those kind of returns from diane warren but i felt it was serviceable if nothing else uh not remarkable but serviceable Mm -hmm. fair enough yeah i agree cool Moving on to cap off weekend update pete davidson is joined by john mulaney to review clint eastwood's new movie the mule what'd you make of this OMG, they are so adorbs. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was uh, another highlight of the show, I feel. Even though I don't think this was crazy funny. Uh, but yeah, the whole idea of them just riffing on The Mule, the Clint Eastwood movie about a 90-year-old drug runner uh mostly worked for me okay and uh and i'm the kind of person that i i think i would be pretty annoyed by the sort of living documentary of pete's life that sure. this season has kind of become in every single or every other weekend update we we kind of have uh an update on pete piece uh but somehow he always manages to make it work for me and to wrangle a laugh out of his suicide note is outrageous (laughs) i was like oh my god this kid is crazy good uh so yeah this this overall worked for me even though i wasn't getting huge belly laughs Mm -hmm. uh it was it was very charming they're very fun together i I know they're kind of out doing tours together doing a show of some sort uh so yeah it'd be fun to spend an hour uh with these two doing a show uh, I'm going to call it a win, but a qualified win. Cause at its core, this was damage control, right? Right before the holidays, Pete gets dramatic. And so the show needed to address that. Dramatic. So there was some obligation to get Pete out there and in some way, reassure the world that he's back on track. Um, so that's always a little tricky to invest in because you kind of know <laughs> why it's happening um yeah but that said i really enjoy john mulaney's style his delivery just how he finds everything around him so ridiculous and he just doesn't understand why there's so much stupidity in the world and he just has a fun way of calling that out the way that really good comedians can so him just taking his b material you know they were probably they probably went and saw this movie when they were out on the road or whatever and they're just sitting around goofing on it and he is good enough that he can take that and then craft it into some really serviceable weekend update material so all of that i thought was a lot of fun it was just a little hard to watch this kind of knowing the underpinnings of kind of where pete's at and and Mm. you know that there's just nothing funny about being in that situation um so yeah (laughs) qualified win (laughs) one other thing i'll say though was i'm I'm pretty sure Pete was not quite in his, his right mind, maybe even a little more so than he normally is when he performs on the show. But did you get the sense that he was just kind of bouncing around the desk in a weird way? He was just kind of spaced out a bit there. Yeah, he did have a weird flow at times. I I did just recently, you know, 
rewatched this episode uh, right before we hopped on mic. And yeah, I did kind of cue in on, on a mm-hmm. couple, like he just starts like full blast for like four seconds. Like, hi, Colin. Right. Yeah, I want to talk to you about something. And so he switches between a lot. He just kind of comes and goes and yeah. escalates and de-escalates in odd ways. And I did catch uh, at the end of it, after the whole bit's done, he turned to Mulaney and said what I believe was, I didn't screw it up. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. There was something a little bit manic about what he was bringing. And so that actually concerns me a little bit because sometimes when you have to do damage control for someone that you know maybe has some chaos in their life or there's strong medication involved and other emotional factors, uh, it is a little risky to put them out on the stage. So. I kind of wonder how well Pete is actually doing. The whole point of this part was to reassure us that, you know, he's got good people in his corner and Mm -hmm. he's doing better and, you know, life's good again for Pete. But uh, I wasn't wholly convinced because I think either he was just, you know, so doped up to get him in some sort of reasonable shape to be able to go out and perform on the show last night, or he doesn't quite have his meds squared away or something. They're just something that seemed a little off about Pete. And so that, that's concerning. I don't know. I would, I would actually say this is the first time that Pete probably hasn't been stoned on camera in a while. He usually comes out looking pretty crunchy and red eyed. Yeah. But at least that's the Pete we know when there's such a marked difference in mm-hmm. his demeanor. That's what concerns me. Like maybe he is in a better place and that's great if he is. And it's, it really is none of my business. I just couldn't help, but just get a sense that, uh, maybe this guy still has a, a bit of road to, to go down. Oh, he does. Yeah. I was picking up on that too, but yeah. I, I think overall the, the charmingness of this whole piece, uh, won me over. Yes. And, uh, if Mulaney is going to be his, his big brother. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fine comedic double act. Mm-hmm. And, and if it helps him helps Pete out in the process, then I'm all for it. Sure. Yep. Okay. Let's, uh, take a look at the back half of the show. All right. Talk show host Tabitha demonstrates shaming techniques from her new book, The Obedient Husband. What'd you make of this one? Mm, uh, funny idea that went on too long. <laughs> okay. It, it started off all right. I like the whole idea we got going on here of, of treating men like the dogs they are as uh, their spouses you know, scream at them. Did you have a party? Is that cheese doodle dust <laughs> on your mouth, Craig? Craig? Did you have a party, Craig? Uh, But then it goes on and the joke doesn't escalate uh, so much as kind of just kind of roll on. Sure. So I started off high on this one. By the end, it left me kind of middling. Okay. I think that's fair. My one note on it was the best part of the sketch, the, the most brilliant little turn happened right before the end. And I feel like there was a much better version of this sketch that could have been realized if maybe they realized that they, they struck gold at the end. And that was the strongest bit of it. What I'm talking about is Tabitha shows her techniques and then you've got these women using them in typical husband wife situations. Like, yeah, did you throw the party? Did you buy the Xbox? But then the third person is using the dog shaming techniques to out her husband's illegitimate family, which Mm -hmm. It's hilarious because obviously that is a conversation that should never be trivialized into dog shaming language. So you've got a juxtaposition of a totally inappropriate way of tackling a, an exceptionally serious and dark scenario. So that was rife for comedy and they dropped that on us and then ended the sketch. So I was like, why Mm -hmm. did we have all that buildup when the funnier sketch, at least in my opinion, and it's a jerk move to rewrite someone's sketch and tell them that you're certain that it would be funnier than what they came up with. So uh, I understand that I'm being a bit of an ass, but to (laughs) me, I feel like the funnier version of this sketch would have been Tabitha showing how you use these techniques in these mundane husband wife situations, but all of her guests have been using them in ridiculously inappropriate ways. And the Mm. escalation is these increasingly bad times to be using these techniques and the dark scenarios (laughs) that it's getting wrapped up in. I feel like if each time Tabitha is a little more flummoxed, because how do you even respond to the bomb that was just dropped on your show? And it becomes this, uh, you know, train wreck kind of situation. I felt like that could have gone places, but I feel like they teased us <laughs> and then mm-hmm. ended the sketch. And that's why this one doesn't work for me is that it, it just wasn't satisfying that they didn't build it into what I feel like could have really been a lot of fun. 
Yeah, kind of like Leave Me Alone. Uh, it, it switches into second gear mm-hmm. just as it's ending. Exactly. It's like, uh, oh, wait. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So it was fun for a quick bit, but it never went anywhere. And then when it finally did, they didn't seem to know what to do with that. So maybe a marginal win because it did have a few moments, but not what I'd call a like a well-rounded or really cleverly executed sketch. Yeah. I can agree with that. Cool. Let's keep moving. After that, another pre-tape. The men of SNL set an example for the youth of today by taking a stand against outmoded Kool-Aid-fueled antics. Obviously, this is a send-up of the new Gillette ad campaign that is calling out toxic masculinity and has the Twitterverse split as to whether this is needless, heavy-handed corporate uh, shamelessness, or if this is genuinely the social message that we need from our razor companies. So there's a whole lot of preface. what do you think of this? Oh, it'd be like Kool-Aid. <laughs> okay. All right. Hot take. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you. I have not seen this Gillette ad. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so I, you know, once it started, I knew what we were riffing on, but to how closely it follows, uh, the actual Gillette ad, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that would help me like this one more because I like the idea using the Kool-Aid man as some sort of toxic masculinity that we have to get rid of, of Kool-Aid-fueled antics. <laughs> but uh, yeah, having not seen the source material, I don't know if this works for me. And I usually say that a good parody should still generally work even if you haven't right. seen what it's it's riffing on. So got some laughs and yeah, Chris and Kyle screaming, I want to be like Kool-Aid <laughs> got a hearty, hearty laugh out of me. But then the rest of it, uh, yeah, kind of left me cold. So I will say that I like that every male character's upper lip was stained with like neon orange Kool-Aid dust. Mm. Um, this was okay. It did stick fairly close to the original ad and it makes its point well, but again, like so much of what we saw tonight, fun idea didn't go into a lot of great places. And maybe that's because they were sticking so close to the script with the, the actual Gillette commercial that they're goofing on. Um, so maybe they felt a little box in or felt like it was more important to continue to sort of keep pace with each of the scenes that the actual ad plays out. I don't know. I, I don't know why it felt like it um, just kind of labored a little bit to me, but that that's kind of my final word on it is it was amusing. I got the joke. I know where they were coming from and what they were satirizing, but it didn't really knock me over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's, (laughs) so that brings us to our 10 to one sketch. Three inept Barbie interns utterly fail to caption a Ken doll Instagram post. This is a sketch that we first saw on the Donald Glover episode late last season. Did we want to revisit this and walk through essentially the exact same beats as the first run? Oh my God. No, because I didn't even like this the first time. Right. Heidi helps things a little bit. (laughs) Uh, You know, she's probably the funniest part of this. Mm -hmm. And again, it's very specific Heidi character work going on there. Yeah. She does play dumb. Well, that's true. Oh Yeah. So that was fun, but the rest of it, I was, I was like, no, no, sir. No. Yeah. Bad. I didn't need to see it again. I didn't really enjoy it too much the first time. And unfortunately that's the whimper that the show goes out on. Hmm. Yeah. So with our recap out of the way, let's talk moment of the night. What took it for you? Uh, eighties song <laughs> and millennial millions. Yep. Uh, is, that's, that's mine. <laughs> It's mine too. Uh, you got any particular reason why you zeroed in on that? Because it was hilarious. It was just so good yeah. and came out of nowhere. Uh, just, yeah. All of a sudden in the middle of another sketch, AD had this minute long song about boomers and <laughs> crushed it. And it was hilarious. It made, I, I cried again watching it today. I was like, I have to learn this song. It's just too ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, just a little musical credit to her that she was just really on time with the band with that material too. Like just, it it felt polished. Like she just really knew how to juice every little inflection out of that song. Um, Yeah, my 
moment of the night as well. All the same reasons. It was a lot of fun and it was smart writing Uh, aside from it just being a, a nice moment for 80 and just being genuinely funny. They cleared out all the exposition that you needed to enjoy that sketch in that one minute funny little rundown. Yeah. Which is great. If you can find a way to take the clunkiest parts of a sketch and wrap them up in something that becomes the highlight of the sketch, you've done your job as a writer. So, Hey, that one, that one was definitely working. Yeah. Best sketch. What do you got? Hmm. I mean, I guess I'll have to yeah, give it to millennial millions. Uh, not, not the strongest thing, not something I think, I'd even put in my top 10 for the season. Maybe I don't, we'll see how it shakes out, but <laughs> strong for a pretty less than fantastic show. Uh, it, it was inspired. It was, it was taking shots and having fun and 80 song. And there was inspiration here. Yes. That really struck me. And it, yeah, that, that's the one. That's the one for me. Yep. Ditto done. MVP. Uh, Keenan. Okay. Uh, Keenan's all over this. Uh, we all know that he's he's the glue. He's the, he's the Phil Hartman, the Bobby Moynihan. He's the glue. You can sprinkle him in all throughout <laughs> the episode, and he'll kill from from Steve Harvey to playing a man dog. Uh, Keenan's gonna gonna deliver, and I wish I could give it to somebody else because I I, I wish there was. I mean, AD did have that one moment, but it's not like AD had multiple moments in the show. Yeah. So generally for an episode where I don't feel like many boats floated uh, on this one, we'll, we'll give it to Keenan. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to give it to Leslie. Okay. She had enough to do, right? She was Tabitha and was in the Marvelous Miss Maisel parody. There was enough going on that she was in the mix on that she was doing very competently. We didn't have a fumbly outing from Leslie and she had enough to do that I would have expected to be groaning at a couple moments saying, Oh yeah, Mr. Q. Oh yeah. You're not on your mark. Oh yeah. That, that joke didn't land. So, and isn't that nice? It's really nice to see Leslie yeah. really growing lately. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that very much of all the things that are happening at the show right now, the fact that Leslie's really stepping it up right. and, and really becoming a, a seasoned sketch performer. The fact that she, like she killed it in that Weezer sketch and I was just <laughs> floored. Where did like, that oh. come from? Yeah, exactly. And this, this Tabitha sketch, maybe a year or two ago, she would have been stumbling over every other line. Yeah. It was a good showing for Leslie. Don't know if she had the most screen time. Don't know if there's anything from this show that I'll ever point to and say was super duper memorable, but I feel like she was definitely keeping pace and definitely competent. And yeah, it's more fun to watch a player that, you know, really has to try to pull off some of the bigger moments on the show, nail it than it is to maybe watch Keenan, who you're absolutely right to say he's the MVP because he's the glue and everything he does is just kind of like sketch comedy voodoo. But (laughs) when Leslie has a good showing, it means a lot more. Mm. So not a knock at Keenan, obviously no one can fault what Keenan brings to the show, but when Leslie does good, I think that's worth a nod. So. That's my MVP. All right. The big question on a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Uh, I'm going to have to go weak, Bob. <laughs> All right. Um, any thoughts on why in particular? I mean, it's not a train wreck because some sketches still hit, mm-hmm. but everything kind of operates on a just less than average basis here. A a lot of sketches don't really come to fruition. As we've discussed, you Mm -hmm. got stuff like bad rewrites with the Ken doll. And you can even maybe say that the, the funny name thing up top with Mikey and streeter, that was just basically kind of another rewrite too. Yeah. weekend update was good, but not great. And it just (laughs) overall uh, pretty meh. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yep. This was a show that started out limping a little bit by the end of the Mm. monologue. We had a lot of perfectly decent material lining the show, but nothing except maybe arguably that millennial sketch veered out of decent territory into something that is almost great. And unfortunately it had enough 
downer moments to kind of pull it out at a decent range and get into the weak range for me too. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where I'm landing too. Yeah. Looking forward to McAvoy though. James McAvoy should be a fun host, I think. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, first time untested, but the guy has obvious skill. That's undeniable. He's got range. Yeah, he's probably versatile enough that the show will be confident in throwing some good stuff at him. That's my hope. Yeah. Who knows? Might be pleasantly surprised. This episode just could be the back from a month off jitters that they got to shake off. No way to know. You just got to keep tuning in. And that is uh, (laughs) really the drug of SNL. You're always waiting for that perfect episode. (laughs) I'll be there. Will you? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think that's where we should cap it. That's a pretty meaty cast. Yeah. There you go. Have fun editing that one, bud. Yeah. That's a, that's going to be a a doozy. All right. uh, Peace. We out of (laughs) here. And that's a cast. (laughs) Thanks to my guest, Andrew Dick. You can connect with Andy on Twitter at that week in SNL. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Kalen Pope, and Miles Donahue. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host James McAvoy and musical guest Meek Mill. Until then, this has been episode number 67 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you to Greta Van Fleet, Alex Baldwin, John Mulaney. You guys, this has been an experience I will never, ever, ever forget. This past is incredible. It has been the most insanely amazing week. Thank you so much for coming. Happy belated New Year. Good night. Well, the good news is you millennials can win lots of cash and prizes. Just don't let it all get taken by our baby boomers. Yes, that's right. Behind that wall are several boomers just waiting to take that money for themselves. And our friend Melanie has a little song about them. Melanie, come on out here. Well, good evening. Now, who are the boomers? Well, their parents came home from World War II And they had a lot of sex and they had a lot of kids Then the kids grew up in a prosperous time Where America was the only superpower left Then they played all the music and they did all the drugs And they had all the sex and they all went to college Then they got all the jobs and they made all the money And they bought all the houses and they won't ever die Well,